Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast. This is a Macro Matters edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. We're going to the ING research team today with Antoine Bouvet, who is the head of European rate strategy for ING, and James Smith. He's a developed market economist at ING as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on Fick Focus. Pleasure. Thank you. So let's start, um, Antoine, with you. And, and just this morning, as we record here on the fourth day of May, um, happy, uh, by the way, may the fourth be with you. Um, talk a little bit about the ECB, what they said today, what you heard uh, uh, Chair Lagarde uh, mention, and, uh, and, and where you think, what do you think it means for the future of European rates? Well, so facts first, they hiked interest rate by 25 basis points, which was in line with expectations. They did surprise the market in two respects. The first one is that they put forward quite prominently in their communication the speed at which past interest rate increases were transmitting to the economy, which was understood as a dovish victory uh, by some members of the governing council. But the second surprise was that the ECB announced that quantitative tightening will accelerate starting in July. At the moment, there is a 15 billion per month uh, cap on reinvestments, which means quantitative tightening is limited. And uh, starting in July, it will be something to the tune of 27 billion per month on average. So, so what, what for the for the future of the rates market? You know, what did the did the the European government bond market reaction surprise you any? I know that there were some, you know, technical issues that were going on under the, uh, you know, kind of underneath in terms of uh, of runoff of the ECB's portfolio and, and the LT, LTTRO <laughs> uh, issues. It, it, you know, so what do you see for the European core rates markets and, and any effect that you can potentially see on peripherals because of this effective increase in net supply? So there's quite a few things to unpick here. I think the uh, at the macro level, the markets took that as a sign that, uh, as is the case at the Fed, the peak of the ECB hiking cycle is not far. Um, it's, it's always very difficult for the ECB when they come one day after the Fed to, uh, you know, just deliver their own message in isolation. I think markets took rightly from the Fed yesterday that the Fed is, if not done, almost done with its own hiking cycle. And Lagarde didn't really convince the market uh, when she tried to say that the ECB hiking cycle can continue independently of what the Fed is doing. So I think this is the main takeaway. So the reaction in the market was for front-end uh, bonds or short-dated bonds to rally, so to price out certain, a certain amount of hikes and price more cuts. So that was the first reaction. Uh, whereas uh, bonds at the back end of the curve, on the other hand, did sell off. So we had a pretty sizable steepening of the curve, which is a macro move, which is something that is expected when the end of developed market central bank hiking cycle uh, is over. And so basically, this is consistent with that view. So very difficult to for the market to draw a distinction between the ECB and the Fed here. On peripheral bonds versus core bonds, uh, clearly the acceleration of quantitative tightening is something that should put widening pressure on, uh, on the spreads. And generally speaking, lower appetite for investors to buy these bonds because 
in effect, the European Central Bank is now a net seller of these bonds to the tune of 27 billion per month. Um, now, in practice, the reaction in the market has been very muted. Um, as much as years ago, the sensitivity to changes in the size of the ECB's balance sheet was very high. Uh, this has come down a lot this year. And so pro probably this is one of the things that emboldened the ECB to announce that change today rather than in June. Thanks. So, so last question, Antoine, before we go a little bit over to, uh, to James. So, so for the future, you know, do you expect the you know significant curve steepening then in European government bond markets and in the, in the you know core markets at least, um, or do you think and and you know is that going to continue to be bear steepening or do you think that there'll be um, you know a shift in that dynamic at all over the the course of the year? You know, if the ECB you know gets more toward their um, toward the end of their cycle. So it's, um, it's a little bit more complicated for Europe than for the US in the sense that we are trading at the end of the day at a spread or at a lag to what's happening in the US. Unequivocally, in the US, we are at a phase where we are at or near the peak. Uh, this is the time where demand for short-dated interest rate or short-dated bonds will uh, grow bigger in anticipation of rate cuts. So, you know, not to, to lock in these interest rates or to benefit from capital appreciation on the price of these bonds. Uh, that is something that is pretty, um, I'd say, straightforward. And a lot of people were perhaps a bit early on that trade. But I think this is now the, the move we're looking at. The difference in Europe compared to the US is that uh, we may still see the ECB remaining hawkish or at least trying to hike one or two meetings and, you know, Maybe it's less true of, out of the Bank of England, but yeah, for now, there might still be a bit of a, a, a lag between the two, and these curves will re-steepen perhaps less aggressively than what's happening in the U.S. and mostly driven by the U.S. So on a relative basis, um, they might stay relatively flat or inverted. Great. So, James, let's let's go over to you. So, uh, we're going to talk about the Bank of England in a moment. But is there was there anything that the ECB said that you think is significantly different than the than ING's outlook for the eurozone economy over the next uh, you know call it you know six months to a year and a half in in terms of you know what they have to do to get inflation down. You know, inflation dynamics in Europe seem to be a bit different than the UK, which are a bit different than what they're what's going on in the United States. So, um, so, so maybe Maybe you can compare and contrast some of those a little bit in your discussion of, of your expectations for the Eurozone area. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of interesting that Lagarde was still putting emphasis on there being more work to be done, more rate hikes in the pipeline. I mean, I think our view is is quite cautious. You know, we expect one or two more 25 basis point hikes. But, you know, our, our chief Eurozone economist always makes the point that, you know, as the ECB gets higher, there's obviously history here as well. You know, the risk of this being a bit of a policy mistake increases. But I mean, having said that, you know, clearly core inflation is an issue. Um, now, it, if you look at, say, Europe versus the US, um, you know, Europe so far, the inflation story has been less services driven, which obviously is what the central banks care more about. But that is becoming more of an issue. And I guess partly that's because um, the wage story comes with more of a lag in Europe. The jobs markets are quite tight. The collective bargaining process that we see in Europe means that that wage story filters through with more of a lag than, say, the UK uh, or the US. So that's the concern. And I think you know, yes, we're a bit cautious on the number of hikes we're going to get in the near term. But, you know, we have got this view that the, the ECB will be less quick to look at rate hike, sorry, rate cuts than, uh, than, the, than the US. And partly it's that core inflation story that's at the heart of all of this. 
So, so let's now turn maybe to the next central bank meeting, which the Bank of England is, is uh, will make a policy announcement next week as we record here on again on, on May the fourth. Um, talk a little bit about the, the the British economy, maybe a little bit of a deep dive into some of the inflation dynamics that are going on there, and what the Bank of England um, again what what you think their policy stance is going to be over the next several quarters. Definitely. Well, maybe we start with the economy. And I mean, the economy is basically flatlined through the winter. I mean, some of the GDP data has been a little bit all over the place. One of the things we've been seeing in the UK economy over the last, I would say, year to 18 months is a bit of a a retail or a good uh, recession. Um, And that's really built as the cost of living stories come through. Obviously, gas prices, the UK um, is a big uh, user of gas in its energy mix. So that's been a really big story. But, you know, like the rest of Europe, the fall in gas prices is pretty good news for the economy. The, the real wage squeeze is probably at or past its worst now. Um, so, yeah, I think, the, to, to, put it blunt, uh, to put it shortly, I think the, the economy is basically flatlining and maybe things get a little bit better towards the end of this year or early next. Although, clearly, it all depends on um, how much the U.S. banking stresses filter through to the rest of the world. And I think that's still a big question mark. On inflation, well, the UK is it sits somewhere between the eurozone and the US, I guess, on this, in that we have um, more aggressive services-based inflation. That's been the case for a few months now relative to the eurozone. And this is uh, it's for a few reasons. I mean, you know, the, the, the labour market's been very tight. We've seen very acute labour shortages, a bit like we've seen in the US, albeit it seems for maybe slightly different reasons in the UK. One of the things we've seen is a fall in participation driven by long-term sickness rates and still a bit of a mystery as to why exactly that is. But the net effect has been to draw people out of the labour market that's kind of been keeping pressure on wages. So that's been one of the central concerns of the Bank of England the last few months. You know, the bank was kind of ahead of the game. It was earlier to start hiking last year than some of the other major central banks and obviously it's, it's taking rates above 4% now. But things have got a bit more interesting. So if we, we rewind to February, um, the Bank of England meeting, they changed their tone quite a bit. And some of the stuff we've seen with the Fed and the ECB over the last couple of days, emphasizing the amount of tightening they've already done, the lags involved. The Bank of England was a bit earlier to this. You know, they started sort of emphasizing this in February and have, have kind of been saying that the sort of broader inflation story has begun to improve. Some of their surveys of of inflation expectations among companies, wage growth expectations have begun to come lower. So generally, the story has been improving. I think the problem is we had some quite hawkish inflation and wage data a couple of weeks ago. The jury's out on whether um, some of the trends there will continue. But uh, yeah, so it looks like we're going to get one final 25 basis point hike from them uh, uh, next Thursday, but that might be it. So, Antoine, so so obviously it seems like maybe the UK is going to be the first to to, to pause, or, or you know maybe the Fed will kind of beat them to it by a couple of weeks. But um, but but basically the US and the UK's policy path seems to be in the same trajectory, you know. But interesting when I look at the UK at the gilt curve and I look at two's tens um, in in the in in the eurozone versus the US versus uh, versus the UK. The UK seems amazingly flat to me, um, and you know you never got significantly inverted, or not as significantly inverted as you, you you've certainly gotten in the United States. Um, so, so talk a little bit about the curve dynamics and, and how you see the gilt market reacting, and if that's going to be any different than um, than the reaction you've seen in the United States with the, with the, you know the curve starting to steepen a little bit here. 
It's an interesting one. I think at the heart of what a curve you know, inversion is, it's an expectation that rates will be cut in the future more or less significantly. And I think what explains the deep inversion of the U.S. curve is the view in the market, priced by the market, that the Fed will hike rates, uh, cut rates, forgive me, quite aggressively. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've, I've made that same problem, same mistake many times, right? <laughs> As we're Thanks. getting to the turn here. I feel better. Uh, right, so that they will cut rates uh, quite aggressively. Now, if you look at the European curve, so that's true for the Stalin curve, it's true for the Euro curve. There is some cut expectations, but they're not very pronounced. And so this is something I take issue with personally, I think. It's all well and good to say that Europe, generally speaking, is behind the US in terms of inflation cycle and therefore that it might have to stay hawkish for a little bit, a little bit longer, perhaps even in the case of the, Euro, the ECB, a hike twice on twi uh, once or twice more. But re realistically speaking, and this seems to be a growing consensus view, is that if the US goes through a deep recession, a hard landing, uh, it, it is bound to, to uh, transmit to other economies and therefore that will put other central banks, including the Bank of England and the ECB, in a position to cut. I'm not saying this is necessarily the base case, but I have the feeling that once we get into that cutting cycle, it won't be as uh, small as yield curves are currently pricing. So what I'm trying to say is basically that these European curves should be more inverted potentially than the US curve if they were exactly at the same point of the cycle. Uh, in practice, they're not. Uh, what you might see is that as the Fed starts cutting rates, then the front end of European curve, so the, the sterling curve, the euro curve, also comes in and so prevents that deep inversion and so basically skip to the next stage, which is re-steepening. So unfortunately, we're not going to be the curve, see the curve very inverted, but I think in the forwards, at least, uh, expectations of rates in, in the one-year rate in one year, for example, uh, compared to, to shorter rates, that could definitely invert a, a lot more in the UK and in Europe. So, Antoine, one thing that I've been noting, and I just, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. In the United States, what the, you know, we, we're priced for some cuts in, in the federal funds policy rate by the end of the first quarter of next year. You know, we've been fluctuating, you know, whether it's going to be, you know, zero to two cuts basically is what the linear market's been pricing. But when you look under the hood and you look at the options markets and you look at what SOFR options are pricing, they're basically pricing either no cuts or a lot of cuts by the end of this year. Um, is is there something similar going on or, or what are the dynamics that, that of the distribution or is there a normal distribution for the expectation of the policy path um, in the UK and or the Eurozone, whereas in, in the US, it seems pretty clear that there's this bimodal distribution that's developed um, that, uh, that, that that maybe is is looking at linear pricing just a little bit differently than, than what actually the market's uh, expecting. No, I mean, you're right in pointing out that any market price is, uh, is a weighted average of, of various scenarios and, and when you see that very linear decline in the forwards price by the curve, yeah, there's no, you know, if, if this was taken at face value, then the curve would expect, it would imply that the market expects rate cuts to happen as early as July, potentially. And, and that's obviously not the case. Um, the way it would look in practice is it will look like rates don't move for a while. And then when the economy really looks like in back shape and, and central banks have confidence that inflation is coming under control, then the cuts will come very aggressively. So, no, the same is true. For, for Europe, I think um, at the moment, and it's again completely rational where you see where we are in terms of inflation dynamics, it's clearly more weight is put on that scenario where rates don't move. Uh, but increasingly, if consensus 
moves in the direction of a hard landing in the US, I struggle to see how the alternative scenario, which is aggressive cuts, doesn't gain in uh, you know in popularity, and therefore the the weighting of that scenario, if you describe it in these two scenarios, um, should should increase. Great, James. Turning back to you, just for for one last question in the last few minutes we have here, um, what's the most the, the biggest you know, maybe surprise that you could potentially see coming from either the Eurozone or um, or the Bank of England, or excuse me, not the Bank of England, but but the UK in general, in terms of the economic prospects? Um, it, you know, are you guys expecting maybe something out of consensus where, you know, either growth is faster or slower or inflation is faster or slower than, than maybe what either the market or the general economic consensus is considering? Well, I suppose it comes back to the thing that really jumps into my mind immediately is this uh, core inflation story. This idea that you know the UK is going to have much stickier core inflation for longer. Maybe that's partly what's embedding that sort of divergence in in rate cut view in the markets between say the US and the UK. I mean there are a few risks to that call. I mean one of the things we've been looking at recently is you know we we often think about services and core inflation as you know just a function of wage growth, and obviously that's very important, but. Now, in Europe, don't, we have to remember that the energy price story has been huge and gas prices have absolutely collapsed over the last few months. And that's relevant for this, this core inflation story as well. Normally, we, we think about energy and we strip it out. But, you know, if you think about the restaurants and the pubs here in London, you know, a big part of their increasing costs and the reason they've been increasing consumer prices have been higher gas prices last year. Now that's fallen back. You know, potentially that's a reason for services inflation to come down a bit quicker than everybody expects. And then, you know, maybe that sort of starts to change the narrative on on the sort of Bank of England versus the Fed. I mean, certainly my view is that, yes, the, the Bank of England might be later to start cuts, but ultimately it is going to, you know, go through a, a meaningful t- uh, cutting cycle. So, yeah, that might be an interesting thing to watch. So, so the absolute last question, and, and this actually uh, transitioned very nicely. So, Antoine... Anything about linkers that you find particularly interesting, given the potential dynamics that James is talking about, where maybe inflation is going to fall a bit faster than uh, than you know people were expecting not so long ago? Yeah, I mean, if you look at any, without being too specific, but if you look at any linkers curve, um, you know, for the horizon of the short term to the long term. It's it, they're extremely linear, and of course, that's not the path that inflation will um, will follow. So, you know, the um, the conclusion is as follows: it's probably a little bit too high, even at some point, for the, the inflation uh, implied by by the linkers or by the inflation swap curve. Perhaps in the near term, although that's not certain. But I think the uh, the forwards implied by that means that they could also rebound pretty quickly. So that would be the trajectory that we could see at least, you know, for, for nominal rates. And I think it's valid for, for inflation too. Is you know we could underestimate how much you know things degrade from now and inflation falls. But also, you know, we also need to have a bit more of inflation risk premium at the back end of the curve because. You know, this cycle is not going to be the last cycle. There's definitely going to be a, a cutting cycle. But uh, after that, we're back to a high nominal GDP uh, uh, growth environment. Great. Well, that was Antoine Beauvais. He is the head of European rate strategy at ING and James Smith, who is a developed market economist at ING. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the Fit Focus podcast. <laughs>